a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. James McLaren is a leading executive coach who specialises in turning high performers into CEOs and works with a number of boards on succession planning. James is the best of the best. James, in your extensive experience, can anyone become a CEO? No. You know, lots and lots of people would like to be a CEO and um, and lots of people can be CEOs, but not everyone can be CEOs. You know, some people aren't really smart enough to operate at that level and or uh, some people don't have the right style. They don't have the positive traits that le- of leadership that would allow the workforce to follow them. Some people have sort of traits about them that put people off. And some people um, don't. Some people aren't really motivated to do it in the first place. So, certainly, I think the biggest thing is experience. Though some some folks just don't have the experience, but you can imagine in time uh, they could gather that experience and be a candidate for it. So, someone comes to you and they want the next career progression piece. What do you look for when you're looking for someone who's really got special qualities? Just to put that in context, you know, sometimes we get bored in by people who want us to help them. Often, more often, uh, we're bored in by boards uh, who want us to take a look at their leadership and help them understand if they've got the right people or uh, or help us develop the people they have. But in that context, um, you know, what are we looking for in leadership? So the, the way we approach that is uh, we get to know the organisation, we get to know the role, and we get to know the pool of people they have, and we and we try to, uh, in a sort of structured way, understand everybody's strengths and development areas, and then uh, be able to give them feedback on how to take themselves closer to what's needed to, to be successful in the role, but also give guidance to anybody who's making decisions on it. So we change the profile of what we're looking for based on the scenario we're in. So we're not always talking about CEOs, I think, is the point you're making. Sometimes you're just looking at a high-performance individual who wants to or is being urged to take the, the next step in their career. Yes, uh, we'll often, we'll, we'll take a view on the individual, but we're, we're often trying to get a solution around the CEO or, you know, sometimes in the C-level, but mostly the CEO. You know, we're obviously usually always dealing with somebody who's looking to make the next step in their career, but often the situation doesn't fit the person, you know. So I can give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, if you're, you have a, a high-growth CEO or, or role where the organisation is going well, we just need somebody to, to steward it, if you like. You know, we're going to want somebody with experience of having uh, led uh, a high-growth company, obviously, um, somebody that can develop a vision and strategy and then has the competencies to be able to 
communicate that in an inspiring way to people and who has a positive energetic style and is motivated by business success over their personal success. Whereas, for example, if we're in a turnaround situation, we're going to need somebody who's led a turnaround, dealt with difficult financial situations, is, you know, has, has got a style that's very decisive, who, who can make decisions quickly, who's you know, not demotivated by difficult personal interactions or difficult personal decisions. So, so those are two different completely styles of people where you know, one will fit the situation and one may not. Are there any common traits that set someone above the rest? We look at uh, a model of uh, experience, sort of competencies, uh, um, style, motivation. We look at cognitive ability. And uh, across different types of scenarios, there can be completely different profiles in each of those buckets. There's certain things, though, um, that over time you work out that effective leaders need. One is they do need a, a, a reasonable level of cognitive ability. Um, to be able to do uh, some of these because at the more senior roles it gets more strategic and just a lot more complex and the volume of work and decisions and things coming through their, their desk, if they're slower to pick things up, they slow things down and they don't quite understand how everything sews together, right? So so that's a thing. Um, I think listening is one of the key things I talk about with leaders. You know, if you're not getting the information in, then it's very, very difficult for you to be able to get it right. And also, if you're not open to other people's opinions, you know, if you're listening and you're open to people's opinions, you'll get a good connection with people, and that connection is pretty much important to, to to leading these days. In fact, probably the most important thing. I think being sort of humble and always learning puts you in the that's the right mindset for leadership these days. And I think um, so that learning uh, focus, you know. I've, not going into forums thinking you know everything just because you've got the big title or the position, you know, asking questions, you're know, going around a table on an issue before a decision's made and speaking last so that you can potentially learn but also that everyone else can feel like they've contributed and they are more bought into the outcomes. These kinds of tactics, I would say, are the, are the common traits that it's very rare that you would find a situation where those aren't the right things. Is that easy to teach? <laughs> so we look at it differently. So if, if you're missing experience, we can obviously give you experience. But, you know, and what we're trying to do there is give you, you know, enough experience in something so that when you get put into the situation, you've got what we call having the playbook. You've never done analyst meetings before that year. You know, you're going to be made CEO where you need to do that. So we'll give you little grabs of experience at doing that. So when you end up in the job, you've got an approach already and you know how to go. You know, if you if you landed in the role that was all new and all the tasks were new, it'd be hard. So you can you can learn that. Um, the the competencies, which are things like, you know, inspiring or influencing or decision-making and so on, these are all learnable things. You know, we'll say that takes three to six months for you to learn over time. But the trait-based pieces or the style of operating, so we always look for a, a positive style of effective leadership or a potential for negative traits, which are, we call derailers. Um, so enablers and derailers, we call them. If you've in the enabler side, if you're a good listener and you're open to other people's perspectives and you're resilient and you're decisive, you know these are kind of positive traits. On the um, derailer side, it could be you know passive aggressive, ego centered, micromanaging. These are the behaviours that put people off. 
these sorts of character traits that come from they're very difficult to uh, to change and we're, and it's not the role of organizations or organizations consultants to really get into people's wiring what we do is teach people tactics in order to understand where where these things are playing out and and how to sort of minimize their impact on others by acting in other ways and we leave the sort of wiring alone but that's the hard part to change I would imagine difficult conversation to have with someone that you, if you decide that they're passive aggressive, manipulative, how do you tell a client um, that you have those qualities and and what could they possibly do about them? Yeah. yeah. So you know, there's certainly you've got to earn the right to have that kind of a conversation and earn a degree of trust. You know, our processes are usually four or five steps long for exactly that reason. We, uh, you know, we. We, we're often going in and talking to just about everybody that knows this person for an hour each and you know by the time we get to talking to the actual person we're going to be working with we've listened to people talk about them for like 14 hours so so we get into the conversation with them and then we you know talk to them about how they roll uh, how they operate and we and we can then slowly earn the right to get into a feedback sort of situation where we can start to put this on the table even then we'll still spend more than 50% of the time talking on the positive so that we can you know get them to understand the, what's good about the way they're working and often some of those traits are the are the flip side of an overused strength and you can ex- start to explain it that way and if you choose your language carefully uh, you can get people into into discussing it and most people are fairly aware but they don't understand uh where it's coming from and you know we have conversations around that and explain how the mind works and uh and then we address it at the behavioral level though we don't really get back into the into the wiring but people are really open to it because i think i think leaders find it really hard to get good specific feedback on that type of thing and practical tips on how to do something about it they just spend a lot of time getting sort of negative feedback from the environment which you know, it's hard for somebody to make sense of. So we try to make sense of it for them. So how did you become the guy that uh, big companies go to to help them with their high-performance individuals? Yeah. So uh, I grew, I mean, I've been in the leadership development field my whole career. I, I grew up in the organisational psychology space. And then as I got older, I started to um, work on more and more senior levels and uh I think I did my first CEO assessment nearly 20 years ago, and um, and these days I'm sort of somewhat of a specialist in board and CEO level leadership solutions. Uh, so I'm an assessor and coach, and I and I I've also worked all around the world. So I worked in Europe and spent nearly 10 years in the states, and and I've worked across all industries. So so I um I can now sort of bring a lot of experience and examples and things to, so we're not just talking about, you know, under, underlying academic models, we're actually wrapping the feedback around real commercial advice and, and I think that gives us a lot of credibility but I think it gives the participant and the, uh, a lot of understanding of how to do things which, are, which seems to work. How many female executives have you worked with? <laughs> not nearly enough. Uh, look, you know, probably in the hundreds, uh, but, I, but I've probably worked with thousands of leaders now. So all I can say is it's improving. Um, the, you know, the organisations are working with everybody from boards to all levels. Everybody's, uh, you know, very determined and trying to go to great lengths to get as much female representation as they can up into these structures, uh, which means that the percentage of people we're dealing with uh, has improved. But it needed to. 
And are there many differences at that level? Uh, no, there is no difference between uh, women leaders and ma- male leaders in terms of, you know, what a good leader looks like uh, or how you assess them or how you develop them. Good leaders are just good leaders and within the male uh leader population and female leader population, there's there's just a lot of different styles of people and some people fit certain opportunities and some don't. But it, there's no way that we would operate differently at all. And so there's no extra challenges? Now, there's extra challenges. <laughs> so, you know, I think the one area that, that there you do spot tiny differences uh, is in things like the motivation area, you, you, you'll get males coming flying into your processes and they're very clear, I want to be the CEO and can't believe it hasn't happened yet. It's all very confident. A lot of times I get uh, women being much more circumspect and, and saying things like, you know, I can't really dedicate that kind of time to, you know, my role until the kids leave school and so on. My take is women are managing a lot more complexity and I think, I think they almost feel a sense of guilt of dedicating so much time to their own career and which may take them away from family, which I think is something that, you know, men probably, you know, have somewhat the same feelings, but it's much more legitimate for them to ignore them and pursue their own career. So it doesn't come up in chats with men about their the, the pressures on their time to deliver? It, do you know what it's starting to? And I, and I don't, I literally, if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would have said no. You know, I think uh, men are much more aware of their, you know, their, sort of con- contribution they need to make in life. And unless you've uh, got the lucky uh, situation of having yourself structured with world's greatest nannies, au pairs, you know, uh, yada, yada, um, or slash house husband, housewife, there's real pressure on two working parents and it's uh, and it seems to be a much more equal role. So they're starting to feel it. But, but I do feel the really strong sense of ownership of the home situation still from the woman when it comes to thinking through the sacrifice they'd need to make to take on a much bigger leadership role. And so how do you tackle that then? In, in every part of leadership development, we're trying to work with people to get them to slow down, put more space into their calendars, put more space into their lives, contain their working hours, work more through others, because it's more effective if you concentrate on your quality of your interactions and not on the amount of work you're pushing and trying to achieve with your own effort, at the very senior leadership levels, it's no longer about that. So it's no longer about long hours. In fact, you're likely to compromise your ability to have good interactions if you push long hours in terms of your health and your headspace. So we're, so we're really trying to uh, get people to to really understand that, in which case it takes it, that takes some pressure off the home situation in its own way. But also, those choices are real for people. I mean, you know, I've coached a lot of women who've been sort of dealing with that guilt feeling that comes along with, you know, it's all right when BAU is going well, and um, but when the pressure comes on and the hours ramp up and they start, you know, they start to have another level of anxiety going on because they're missing at home, you know, and we just give them permission to structure things in a way which they can make their life work because it's, a, it's, it's more important for somebody to be confident and comfortable and not anxious because you're going to do a much better job, you know, than if you're just um, pushing, you know, with your own effort a lot of widgets through your desk, if you know what I mean. So, And that's uh, gender neutral too. Gender neutral advice, absolutely. You, have, you would have had those captains of industries and masters of the universe that cycle... 50Ks in the morning and climb mountains in there on their holidays. Is this is this a significant change or have you been fighting that mindset for a long time in your career? 
Well, I, I've I've been on that journey myself, uh, Helen. Actually, so it's just it's just. What part. did you do? Did you climb mountains or cycle <laughs> or lycra? I used to I used to travel in Central America and climb volcanoes in my twenties until I figured it all out. But um, so yeah, so that journey I've been on. But yeah, I mean, you know, what we're trying to what we're trying to do is slowing slowing everyone down. You know, when you're transitioning up and you're feeling like. Um, there's a lot of pressure on you to perform quickly and you're visible, much more visible, and you don't really have the skills and experience that someone who's been doing it for, you know, three to five years or something would have. You feel an anxiety and a pressure and a lot of people's response to that is to run harder, you know. By doing that, you get a lot of things wrong, you know, and um, you're almost better to uh, to slow the volume of what you're doing down and concentrate on doing the much better quality. And then you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to be a much more effective leader when you so when it realises that your role as an, as a senior leader is to inspire and engage others to perform, not to drive performance with your own effort. So in some ways, the leader should perhaps be doing less than their staff if they are to get the best out of their staff. Yeah, the bit, well... You know, we try to get them to put space between their meetings so they can think about meetings before they go into them. We try to think about them uh, to just spend a couple of minutes to review the meeting and think about how well you got, you know, you, you achieved what you were trying to achieve in there and if there's anything you can pick up that you could have done better and start to see the themes over time. And uh, in order to try to, you know, try to lift, try to give them enough headspace to lift. You know, adults learn from hearing what good looks like and practicing it in the moment. And um, and the only way you can really uh, kind of cement it is reflecting. And if you've got, if you're running from thing to thing to thing to thing and, you, you know, your head's all up and uh, in fight or flight or, um, you know, you're carrying around a lot of anxiety, it's, it's difficult for you to reflect and learn. So we're trying to create a space for people to be able to learn but also if they can prepare and think through what they're doing beforehand, they've got much more chance of that being the inspiring, engaging event that everyone needs it to be you know, in order to perform. So yes, that's what we're teaching. I can understand why in that context you say that there isn't a lot of difference between male and female leadership because you're giving precisely the same advice about slowing down. In a previous uh, life, we debated uh, whether women become men when they take on leadership positions. Is that still something that happens? And how do you combat that if it is? So when you, when you say women become men, is, are you referring to the old adage of women become more aggressive or they become more non-feminine? Or is that what you're... That's correct, yes. What I'd say to that is uh, I, I do see some women who step up to more senior level executive and CROs and so on uh, behave in sort of more of a non-feminine or more of an aggressive way than they have in the past as a means of, I guess, coping or their, you know, what they think is going to work. Personally, just from having uh, a lot of leadership assessment experience under my belt, um, I don't think that approach works for anybody, whether they be male or female, to be honest. I think uh, what, what leadership style is working these days is much more of a facilitative co-design kind of a, uh, approach, and, um, and that's not it. Um, and it leads you to get a lot of things wrong if you're going to um, sort of impose your will and your thoughts on a situation nowadays, you know. So I think there's, you know, there's some modern uh, uh, leaders who like Jacinda Ardern, I think recently has done some amazing things to sort of leading in a very humane, empathetic, uh, authentic sort of a way. Um, 
uh, to stick with New Zealand, uh, that's where I'm from, uh, <laughs> Richie McCaw, um, you know, I think uh, as the leader of the all, mighty All Blacks, um, is he would clean out the changing sheds after the, he would be sweeping the floors of the changing sheds after the All Blacks had played um, as a means of a, you know, sort of humble approach to leadership. You know, there's, there's, there's lots of role models around who I think are very values-based. I think these are the people who I buy into and a lot of people buy into. And I think in, in terms of business leaders, you know, the, the difficulty with me commenting on that is today's business leader sort of icon is tomorrow's social media villain. So time... <laughs> and you've probably, uh, probably coached them, so... Going on and record. And you might, know the, you might going, know the true story. Going on record for that is uh, incredibly tricky. I mean, Alan Joyce, for example, gets a lot of... Um, a lot of plaudits for his leadership style and his preparedness to take on position, take positions on key topics like marriage equality. Uh, and he's also very strong on gender equality. Yep. Um, that has created a culture in that side, that organisation. How important do you see the leadership style and creating culture in an organisation? I'm a leadership guy. So, you know, um, at the risk of everything looking like a nail. Um, I look at culture, um, which I call a C word, um, as, as a basically a product of leadership behavior. And, uh, and so I think there's a lot of culture related things happening out there, but what I see actually change cultures is changes in leadership behavior. You know, obviously at a at a cohort level though, I mean, one person, uh, although the CEO can change their behavior and change the behavior of an organization, uh, it really helps if the top, you know, two or three levels come with them. Um, I absolutely agree with the fact that, you know, the ultimate leader behaving in a sophisticated way will lead to much more of a sophisticated uh, outcome in terms of what the culture feels like or the what the organisation feels like for its people. What are the most common mistakes you see? <laughs> so I, I think for new leaders... Um, there's, there's several. So, uh, so, so if somebody's transitioning into a CEO role for the first time, they're going to often they're going to run too hard, too fast. Uh, they don't give themselves enough time to earn the right to be able to uh, to be able to put their point of view across. And you know they often don't build the relationships and trust that they need from people before they start to talk about what it is they're hoping uh, for everyone to do. In which case, you know both of those. Uh, lead to problems in terms of getting hearts and minds of people and, and earning sort of respect and credibility. Um, I think not listening, you know, we touched on this before, but not listening. If you're not listening, you're going to miss information that's key. And, and pretty much, you know, all of the things we want people to do involve uh, trying to get connection with other people and getting uh, and really un listening and understanding where they're coming from and what they're telling you and uh, responding in a way, you know, with a coaching communication style, which will help them be involved in, you know, creating answers and, and, you know, learning on the journey rather than becoming dependent on you. So the foundation of all of that is is listening. I think one of the key issues when you when somebody is going from, you know, in a technical career especially and they transition up to a senior leadership role, if they haven't had a lot of preparation before they make that transition, they'll continue to operate how they did before. So if they're an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor or son, you know, they'll get into the senior leadership role and they'll behave like an engineer, a leader, or, you know, a lawyer or a doctor, in which case, um, you know, they'll go to where they're comfortable. They're likely to dive into a lot of detail. They get drawn 
down into the roles of their direct reports and their workload will just become overwhelming. They'll start running around. They won't get all their interactions right. And they'll also just snow themselves in, in work. And I think that's sort of what we call micromanaging, uh, which is just the result of anxiety. And, you know, often because they don't know what to do, sometimes because they don't trust others to do it. And, you know, they've still got kind of much more of a quality orientation uh, to their work than, the, than they have um, thinking about teaching and helping others, if you know what I mean. They haven't made that mental transition for the, That's probably one of the biggest things we commonly see, especially in areas where somebody's coming from being a strong practitioner, you know, 30 years developing as an engineer, all of a sudden we pop you out to be a general manager or God forbid a CEO and we're expecting you to become this, you know, warm behavioural, facilitative, engaging coach uh, when you've come from being this detail-oriented, you know, looking for problems in the areas, exact project driving, you know, consultant. That's, uh, you can see the challenge. So those are the common things. So say I can't afford you and I've just taken a, a big new role uh, and I'm that person, what would you recommend? Are there books or articles or publications that you'd recommend that I started to immerse myself in? There are. Um, you know, I think it really helps if you can get somebody to help you. Though It's 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 quite difficult to self-diagnose a lot of this you know it, it'd be obvious to most people when they think through the experience they're lacking although um you know it's hard to get detail around the different experiences you actually need or someone to break down the role for you you know but once you're starting to get into the skills and especially the traits and sort of your motivator this is the right things it's very very hard to do it all of our processes now, uh, the outputs are development plans rather than, um, you know, narrative reports like they used to be, you know, if Helen's got this and Helen does that and Helen, that sort of stuff's not very useful. We're, we're giving development plans where, you know, each of the development areas will give them, you know, a couple of books and some web resources and so on. I, I think, um, you know, any advice you can get that helps you think through, especially um, your style and approach uh, to your role and the impact that's having, you only need to be in the role for four or five weeks. Most people see, um, you know, see it pretty clearly, pretty quickly. Uh, gather as much feedback as you can, especially from your direct reports, because it's important that you're landing well with them. And anything you can pick up, just be humble about, uh, you know, going and trying to read and find out about it or talk to somebody like myself or somebody that might, you know, be able to help you that you know, or an experienced, seasoned person who might be able to offer some ideas. And, and try to change, you know, be open to changing, try to cha do things a bit differently, try to manage your impact on others. I think that would be my advice. It does raise the question in my mind, if I'm a mid-level employee and there is a new team that's come in or a new boss who's trying to do his best or her best, what do you say to, to that cohort about dealing with uh, a new leader who may not be landing it? You know, you, you've got to give people time. Um, you know, if they if they don't have some of the behavioural skills, they'll learn those in sort of three to six months. So, you know, if you can give them the first three to six months, what you'll work out is if it's just a few skills that they haven't had, so behavioural things that they haven't done that uh, they just needed time to do, or it's actually their sort of wiring, you know, that's causing things. And then I think learn how to give feedback. Uh, you know, a lot of leaders, very, you know, especially if it's if you're dealing with a new CEO or a, or a new general manager in a large corporate structure, very difficult to give people feedback. And and I think it, they don't get a lot of feedback. And so, 
if there's a cohort of people and, and you feel like your manager has got some things to learn in the leadership space, as I'm sure everyone said before, um, you know, learning how to give feedback to that particular type of person in a way which they can hear you so that it doesn't trigger an ego response or an insecure response from them, but actually try to get the message across to them in a way which helps them. We have a rule and we call three plus one. If you give somebody three pieces of positive feedback before you give them the one piece of developmental feedback, they're much more likely to be open to hearing you. And so if you can give them three pieces of positive feedback and then offer up the one thing, if everybody's having a go at that um, over time, um, you know the person will start to hear it, and and, and the, you know, and they'll and the, I'm sure they'll work on it. that. Would be the right way for you not to have tension around that. What do you think has changed in the workplace in your time in this role? Oh, plenty. But I, I think the main thing from a leadership perspective is we've gone from command and control to a more of a facilitative leadership approach. Gone, gone are the days where you can impose your will or thoughts or decisions on a range of people and for that to work as, a, as, a, as an effective leadership strategy. You know, now the leaders uh, need, to, um, they need to facilitate forums where people can co-design with them a vision and strategy for the business or co co-create different uh, types of new products or new ideas or um, or co-decide on just, you know important decisions so that everybody feels like they've contributed and they're part of the direction or the decision so that therefore everybody you know capturing the hearts and minds now that that's a completely different ball game to the Jack Welsh you know uh, just leadership approach that we had 15 or 20 years ago. Well, there's always been an argument that you set, you know, you, you set the, the tenor and everyone just follows and that's a really effective way of getting results. Yeah, it's not Why, <laughs> anymore. What is it that you've learned or know that convinces you that that way doesn't work anymore? It certainly does get short-term results. Uh, and there's certain circumstances where, it's, where it actually is what's needed. But very, very rarely now, you know, and certainly in a in a turnaround situation where everyone's paralysed and an organisation has been through, you know, a few downsizings and everyone's bunkered down. Sometimes it's just the only thing that'll work. But it's very rare that that's the situation. Mostly now, um, what it's about is achieving through others, and it's a it's a culture that I, around leadership or an approach to leadership that creates a culture that I think people want to be in now. I don't think. People don't want to be talked to like that. I think also with, you know, the levels of seniority of people uh, at the senior executive and CEO level and really what's happening in the, for example, the technology arena in the world today where, you know, if you're kind of over 25, you don't really understand it. It's very dangerous for you to think you have all the right answers and to come in and impose your will on a group of people who likely around the table have much more of an idea of what's happening than you do which is why we do teach things like, you know, and if you're going to make a decision with a group of execs or anybody, you know, create the structure and facilitate the conversation to go around the table and everyone to comment before you do because, A, that makes them feel like they've actually really contributed to the decision, but, B, you're likely to learn something. Uh, and, uh, and and in a world where, you know, our most seasoned senior executives are a very long way away from what's happening in a disruptive marketplace, uh, that's just good guidance, right? Can I ask you about the charismatic leader, huh. the the one that is just born with charisma? I'm thinking Indra Nui, uh, the CEO of Pepsi-Cola. Well. The charismatic leader is someone that people follow. 
uh, believe in. Uh, it's often a very high pedestal that they're on. Do we still see them and do you see them? And what advice do you have for them? We do, we do see them. And believe it or not, those are learned communication skills and we teach them, you know. So that's that charismatic leadership profile is really a bunch of sophisticated communication strategies which are taught. And Can you teach us now? <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while, but it's, it's, it's doable. It's not something you're born with. You know, yes, people are born with charisma and born extroverts and so on, but the actual skills in order to capture someone's heart and mind and get them really, you know, that, that's a, that's a skill set. Gail Kelly, I think in Australia, oh, is great. is close to a charismatic leader um, that I can think of as a female leader in Australia. We don't have a lot of them, so uh, I think certainly Julia Gillard had a lot of those characteristics yeah. Yeah, too. Did. Until it yep. became really difficult for her to, to lead in a um, in a in a particularly tumultuous time in politics, but yep. um, they would have been taught. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So all of those are learnable skills. You know, however, um, you know, there are certain types of people who can become that and certain types of people who can't become that. And, and I think as leaders, you know, we, we, have, we have very few leaders um, that, have, that stand up on that kind of pedestal because, you know, that's a rare set of, you know, somebody who gets in a senior leadership position who takes enough time to develop themselves, who really sets off with that in mind. We also have, you know, in Australia, a great tradition of, cutting leadership down at every opportunity we can. You know, we, we have sort of a celebrity culture, kind of like in the US, around our business leaders. And uh, But at the same time, we can't wait to see, you know, the next one who's got their hand in the till or, or who's, you know, made a terrible decision and so on and then uh, cut their legs off. Uh, and, and we love to bring down a tall property. So, so, you know, that kind of a leadership style does put you out there. And, you know, taking that just a half a step further, that, that's sort of in the camp of, you know, the bold leader who can lead from the front and gather the troops around and so on. And the, and the landscape today where, you know, we do have this threat of social media and so on and, and lots of, you know, the uh, the press in general uh, being very div- very hard on uh, leaders, you know, some some warranted, some, you know, difficult. We're, what we're asking is, you know, our, our leaders to be very bold and, uh, and navigate this really complex landscape and then... Um, throw themselves out there with, you know, uh, their their opinions and their predictions and so on. And then we're bringing them down publicly, you know, uh, when those go wrong or uh, reminding them what they said, in which case um, it becomes very difficult for them to navigate. So I, so I think that kind of charismatic leadership style of person, which I think everybody wants to have as their leader, is a difficult goal for people to have. And it's it's a much more sort of circumspect leadership style that seems sensible given the forces of today. How important is presentation? And I'm, I'm thinking uh, about female leaders in particular. Is it important, do you think, still to dress a certain way and have your hair a certain way and your shoe height a certain height? Or are we getting more relaxed about the way we judge female appearance? So I think there is an element of executive presence that needs to be in boards and senior CEO level leadership. Uh, there's certain industries get a pass on that. So, you know, advertising, media, uh, technology and so on uh, that have sort of engineered their own cultures around it. But um, like it or lump it, the rest of the business community still has a, um, I, I don't know if it's a, uh, it's a culture, but it's more of a um, habit 
of uh, dressing professionally. A lot of the professional services firms have gone tireless, you know, now. But if I go and sit in the CEO's office, they'll be wearing a tie. And uh, and if I go to a board meeting, they'll have ties. Um, it's 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 a there's a formality in the senior level of business where where it may not pay you to be a crusader for casual dress uh, at that particular moment of your life, and uh, and maybe respect the elders that are in those communities and and the way in which they've been brought up, and meet them in the middle in terms of your uh, in terms of your dress sense, because they do put a bit of store in the you know, in the kind of, uh, if you've made an effort to, you know, prepare very professionally in doing that. What advice do you have uh, to anyone leading a team listening to this um, around who they hire? And is uh, a diverse team really essential in contemporary success? So the answer is a diverse team is really important. I mean, um, Actually, for a CEO or a senior level leader, actually being able to build and form a team and make that team function is pretty much the key. You know, we want them to work through that team to lead the organisation and not take it over and try to run on their own, right? So so that team becomes very important. You know, as much diversity as you can put into that team uh, so that we've got diverse perspectives culturally, we've got diverse perspectives, you know, from a gender, uh, we've got diverse perspective just from a diversity of thought. You know, the more critique you can have in decisions, the more uh, perspectives you can have in developing a strategy, the more uh, experience you can have around the table from different aspects of life and work, et cetera, the, the higher quality you'd believe that all the decisions and and uh, and actions are going to be. So um, I, I, I see now just a lot of energy and positivity around trying to get more diversity onto boards and into leadership groups and it's genuine and that and there's some you know strong uh, tactics if you like supporting that these days it's not just sort of lip service like it used to be James McLaren I want to say thank you very much I know this is not the most comfortable position for you to be in to come out from behind uh, closed doors and uh, share some of your experience and uh, your secrets to making great leaders but we really appreciate you taking the time today thank you thank you The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer, Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. 